Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to The Pathless Path. I'm Paul Millard, and in this podcast, we examine the invisible scripts that run our lives and dare to imagine new stories for work and life. Today, I am talking to Claire Emerson. She is a project consultant and writer loves helping business owners execute their best ideas. She's the creator of the Flourish newsletter and uh, recently, I think, the creator of Implement uh, My Course, a free 10-day email course on how to apply what you learn without procrastination poisoning your progress. Uh, I love that. I think almost everyone uh, deals with procrastination, including me. So excited to talk about that and some of the the skills you use in terms of like self-management and things like that. Welcome to the podcast, Claire. Thank you. It's great to be here. Nice and early. <laughs> a, a question I often start with, uh, and yes, Claire is uh, in Australia, so we're across the world here as well. So a question I like to start with, and maybe we can learn a little bit about Australia. Maybe it's similar to the US, maybe not. What were some of the stories or scripts you grew up with related to, okay, these are the things I need to do as an adult or as I grow up to be seen as a good person, a successful adult? Um, I think the first thing is just to like actually hold a job. Um, and we had very sort of, I had a very just typical view of what um, a successful job is like, you know, like nine to five. That's what my mom did. Um, my dad was a bit different. He worked in... Um, he was like a carpenter joiner, so he was like a production manager. Slightly earlier, he was the one who went to work early, got home early enough to cook dinner, and my mom was, you know, quite late because she worked in the public service. But um, I think that's that was sort of all I really knew before. Well, I mean, per, definitely before online business because that was game-changing. Yeah. But I think I also veered off the path a little bit because I entered into hospitality quite early and that gives you a really different view of what work is and um, I guess anytime you can get any sort of service experience is going to be really valuable and I think um, even though I didn't choose the same path as my parents it was definitely you know you work because you have to not necessarily because you <laughs> love what you're doing. And that's not right. to say that they didn't, but there was definitely, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure that, you know, they were absolutely fulfilled by, from their jobs, but I didn't really think that that was sort of part of it. And I think um, certainly not, I never considered writing 
to be any sort of um, pathway that I would ever choose or could pursue, you know, like it was, I just didn't understand at that point what or how that could make you money <laughs> and sort of, you know, lived a similar lifestyle that I grew up with and, you know, have kids and a family and like, how, how would that even factor in? Like it, it would not have even crossed my mind. It was like office job. Cause that's the sort of stuff that I already knew about. And that was cause I always worked sort of office hospitality simultaneously. Cause I think I liked that, um, just that difference in my, in my routine and always sort of having a little bit of, um, I don't know, hospitality brings a certain flavor to your life. <laughs> Definitely. Like it's it's a very different um environment. So I think it was it was really good that I was able to stumble into that pretty early on. Yeah, what was the yeah. specific environment uh you were doing for hospitality? I started in a hotel. So I was actually I, I did this it was called a snap apprenticeship when I when I it was like the first one that our school had ever done. And essentially you get like a day off school and uh, you got to, like if you got the placement to begin with. Um, to, so basically you got the day off school to go and, and work for the day. Um, and like you, they gave you credits towards your, I guess you'd call it a diploma or high school certificate or whatever we had there. And um, yeah, you got to do less subjects. So I loved that, but it was actually the fact that I actually really liked hospitality. So you got to, meet a bunch of different people. You got to do a bunch of different jobs. Um, and I think early on in hospitality, you're, I, I don't think anyone's all that amazing at their job because it's service and you're sort of just doing it to make money. But I think the longer you're in it and the older you get, and perhaps the more mature you get, it's um, you can really make it your own. Like I, I used to love running a busy Saturday night, like the food pass. Oh my God, like give me that pressure any day. And it's very, um, very flow inducing. Like, um, you know, you're really in the moment, time passes quickly and you just do your thing. <laughs> so it's, it was a really, I think that's probably part of why I liked it so much because, you know, when you, when you get to exercise your strengths, that's when flow happens and a big part of, sort of running a, a restaurant or a busy bar or something like that, critical thinking, good judgment. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> there's a lot going on and you got a lot of people to please. So I think it was yeah. a, a, a really great environment to hone skills that I didn't really think I would ever get. <laughs> yeah. How did you end up in corporate finance then? Corporate finance. So alongside any of my hospitality jobs, I always had what I thought was, you know, the real job, right? The, the proper city. office job. The proper job, the office job. Now, for the most part, I only ever worked them part-time. I was just, I've, I've always been against <laughs> full-time work for some reason. Well, not for some reason, I know why. But Is, um, is part-time work more prevalent in Australia? I don't know. I mean, in my life it was because I would always either pick that kind of job or eventually sort of, whittle it down into I can do what you need me to do in part-time hours you know and I think that was a big a big thing for me later on because that really helped sort of work-life balance or whatever you want to call it but I got into corporate finance because I just started off with you know admin jobs and then I think from there I was able to get a bit of um you know I'm good with numbers and spreadsheets and technical stuff and I think that sort of came across along with my written communication so I was able to get an accounts job like no qualifications here. Like <laughs> this is not anything I've ever pursued professionally, but um, yeah. 
just applying for for jobs as I went. And I think it, I, it was the accounts. I used to work for a company called Mac One. So this was before Apple had stores. So these were like Mac wow. One stores, and that's where they sold Apple products. And I was just a, like an accounts clerk there and did reconciliations. And I think that sort of led into having the right qualifications for a more well-paying government job, which is, again, you know, what I saw is what I was supposed to do because that's – it's. I lived in Canberra, capital of Australia. That's where all the parliament people are and that's where a lot of government jobs are, are available. And, um, yeah, it was essentially – just it was just that it was just that sort of trail of admins through to accounts up to a, a finance officer. I was at the same time as a finance officer. I was the travel coordinator, but that ties in a lot with finance in a big agency. So um, it was just a lot of spreadsheets and reconciliations. But you know, I like parts the, of that job. <laughs> yeah. When did the cracks in that story or path start to show up? I think. I mean. All throughout, I kept trying to study, right? So I was, I tried TAFE. At, at the very beginning, I went back to sort of like a, a, a pre-university course thing, did that, got into uni, did uni for a semester, <laughs> left uni, <laughs> you know, attempted again to, yeah, I went back to TAFE. I was doing animal husbandry. Um, what is TAFE? Uh, so like vocational school, um, okay. yeah, like a, you know, like a trade school. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably closer to what you guys call it. But, um, yeah, so from like I was, that was always peppered throughout, you know, that, that string of office jobs and random hospitality <laughs> working. But I would say, I think, and I, and I always use it cause it's, it's quite obvious is that it was when I got my dog. You know, I'd, I'd always wanted a dog when I was younger and I got a dog and I was like, I don't want to leave my dog at home, right? So granted, I wasn't having an amazing time in my job and it paid the bills. It was part-time. I still got to, it was quite flexible. My husband worked hospitality, so we had pretty good hourly overlap. Um, I still worked weekends sometimes as on the door and that sort of thing. So it was, it was fun and social and I still was enjoying that part of life. But there was just a... Um, I think it was just felt like a, a big hole. Like I just, like creatively, there was just a void. And it was, um, and while the dog thing was the catalyst, it was, that's sort of what made me start to think about, well, you know, what do I want to do? Like, how do you, how do you create a career? Like I, like I had no idea what I wanted. I did not want to apply for another job. I didn't want another corporate job. I hated, you know, I didn't want to work in finance. Like that was just random that I got into finance and, um, I think <clears throat> it was right around the time where I was just like, you know, like to go out or to get ready for work, I would you know, do my makeup and stuff and I would watch all these like YouTubers, like, you know, like just beauty oh, wow. blogs and stuff just to see how you like, you know, I always loved like um, applying makeup. I grew up as a dancer and we did that a lot. So like I was really drawn to this. I was like, wow, these girls are making like money that way. And I thought that was really cool. And I think that's really where, I started to delve into, I was like, what is all this, this opportunity here? And so I, um, from there, you know, it was a bunch of Instagram and Google searches, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know it's just sort of, um, it's just sort of to un unravel from there. But, um, any initial books or people that stood out? I would say, so I really, 
I found this this one online teacher or you know course person before I sort of knew anything about online courses. Um, and her name was Anna Mako, and she owned this. Her brand was Loving Not Working. And she sort of sort of taught like the whole laptop laptop lifestyle deal. You know, gave you a bunch of business models and that sort of thing. And that really started it because I learned so much just uh, just about you know what online business even is like e-commerce service you know SaaS whatever all of that and it was like just like this light bulb like that went off I was like wow there's so much that you can do and of course you know I struggled implementing and I struggled finding what I actually wanted to do within that but it was crazy and the one thing that led me to pretty much everything else from that course is that she mentioned one of copy bloggers free ebooks at the time, which was called, um, I think it's headline hacks or something like that. How to write, how to write magnetic headlines. And that is what turned me to copy blogger. And honestly, from there it was learning from Brian Clark and Sonia Simone. And I mean, that was sort of, that would, that would really was the start. Cause I've now worked with both of them. I've partnered with them on product products or I have a business with Sonia and, um, you know, it was, yeah, it was it was from that little nugget of information from that one yeah. first course I did that sort of led me into the world of content marketing and finding mentors who really sort of spoke to me and were doing the things that I thought that I could possibly do eventually if I got over all of my hangups. <laughs> so yeah, I w- it was long that I got there. I w- I want to uh, pause. So I definitely want to dive into that. I want to pause first. Uh, you mentioned you started three businesses, and one kind of took off. I'm guessing the one was the writing. What were the others you experimented with? The first one was e-commerce because that when I did that girls course, the, it was the one that made sense to me. Right, I already knew what e-commerce was. I was a shopper, of course. <laughs> you know, I knew what eBay was. It's just that I had no idea about making a product, about, you know, marketing it, um, all of that stuff. Like, granted, I, I did, I loved the making process, right? Like, so actually, like, doing all of that operational work is, is stuff that I love. But um, I was so shy about the marketing, self-promotion. I mean, that stuff still gets me. Selling stuff was my issue. <laughs> and I think it just wasn't something that that first e-commerce, um, you know, sort of, it was where I, I I probably got into like the most um, sort of I, I mean I call it <laughs> I call it my student debt now but it's it was you know where I sort of spent money where I probably shouldn't have and made a whole bunch of mistakes but I really was like hardcore learning at that point and I still had my job for the first sort of six months to a year and then I sort of did a you know screw this and <laughs> read yeah. for a work week and left. <laughs> left the building <laughs> probably nice. prematurely but it was um yeah I think so that was yeah that was the first one the second one it it was um it was okay like it, it I and I never created a product or anything like that but it did get me um you know my first sort of clients is like a VA project manager type type deal whereas and it, and it did also lead to then working, um, yeah, with Brian Clark for uh, with his un- unemployable and further brands. Um, so that was that was great. Um, but again, it took me a while to actually 
feel comfortable writing, feel good enough to put work out there, um, to implement the things that I learned. <laughs> Hence my course, which, <laughs> you know, you figure it out, but um, it, it, it took a long, um, it felt like it took a really long time to sort of get to a point where I, I knew what I wanted to do and which audience, you know, I really sort of enjoyed serving. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't regret the first two sort of tries. Yeah, I mean, you learned. But I so could have done with less, you know, spending. <laughs> yeah, I, I still love e-commerce. Don't get me wrong; like, I, I know I can figure that out eventually. But yeah, a little, what bit, did... a little bit more time and resources, I think, is required for e-commerce rather than, like, say, service. Like straight up, I think it, it. I should have gone that that path first. What What impact did Tim Ferriss's book have on you? It sounded like it was pretty powerful. You mentioned it earlier, but yeah, I mean, I I I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan, and I'm, I'm sure there's many of us. But um, I think it was the idea that I think it just it, it really grabbed me because I, as I said, I'd always tried to work part time. Um, and I think just that idea that you didn't have to slog it out. Um, you could create your own sort of lifestyle and whether or not that's a huge income or not is, is, you know, obviously up to your, your personal standards and how much security you need there. But it's, I think I just, I loved, um, I loved the idea that you could control or at least have that freedom and flexibility around your work. And it, and it could, you could do creative things that you enjoy doing and still make money. Um, gosh, it's been so long since I've read it that it, I, I've probably like lost the actual thing that like made me want it. But I think, you know, what spurred me to leave my job was when he's, I think he's, he's got this little script in there and he like says, to, to go ask your employer whether you can, you know, like change your hours. So I was already working part-time, but I wanted to work a few days at home, which was like unheard of back then. No COVID times, no no forced, yeah. you know, remote working, uh, especially in an agency, like a government agency, much more red tape. And so I asked and they were like, no. And uh, <laughs> they wanted me to actually, like straight up no. <laughs> um, but they actually wanted me to come we had moved from my hometown, Canberra, to Sydney by that point. And I took my job because it was a, an agency that sort of had offices everywhere. Even though my team was still in Canberra, I took my role to Sydney and just did it semi-remotely because, you know, the team wasn't there and we would talk um, just on the phone or whatever. I could do my job pretty easily without everyone around. And so when I was like, can I work some days at home? They're like, no. And you're going to come back to Canberra. I was like, uh, <laughs> so that was sort of the end of that. And, um, yeah, I gave my two weeks and sort of, yeah, left. Then we got, we went, we got married and went on our honeymoon and then came back and was sort of like, okay, what do I do now? Tried, you know, I, I got a, I got a, um, a client or two, but still had to work hospitality on the side, which is never a bad thing. It was just, you know, I guess, just wanted to I just wanted to make it and it was yeah. <laughs> it was a lot it was longer than it than than um I anticipated and I'm sure longer than my husband anticipated but um we got there yeah what does make it what does make it mean or what did it mean think, to you then for me what does it, it would have been you, you know earning a livable income that uh, that that like but doing the creative work that I like 
you know, and that, yeah. that's where that's really all it was for me to have the freedom and flexibility to, you know, manage my days how I wanted to create, you know, create my weeks how I wanted to um, and be able to do the work that I enjoyed, which at the time I probably still wasn't a hundred percent on, but I, I knew that it was certainly writing was a part of it. Um, yeah. It was just a matter of getting over the procrastination. What would you do different now uh, if you had to approach that initial period? I probably wouldn't try e-commerce to begin with. That's for sure. Do you um, think? I mean, you said you learned a lot, though. I mean, do you think some of the lessons you learned, or is just you wish you I did think, it different? I think I still would have learned a lot, even if I didn't do the practical side of the e-commerce stuff. And I, so I, I, I don't, I didn't mind learning about all the different business models. Like that was actually like I loved that. That 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 initial learning was like what set me off to like as a reminder that adult learning is fantastic when you're choosing what you're learning, right? Like, and that's what had never worked for me previously. Like, I was just sort of trying to pick a course that the they, that was already offered at university or at TAFE or whatever, and it was never fitting into actually what I wanted to do. Um, but I think I've, I've lost my train of thought. What was your question? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just what would you have done differently? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it was... Yeah, I don't regret learning like everything there was to learn about like in that really big course because it was one of those really big courses where they just sort of teach you everything, right? And because I was drawn to e-commerce, it was I that's why I did it. It wasn't because I I that was any sort of like big dream of mine. I just I just wanted to to figure out how to do it. Whereas I think if I had looked into that service model a bit closer at the time, Rather than sort of, because I, I feel like I skipped over it because I was like, oh, I don't think I can offer a service to someone. But really, that's so much easier than trying to build some, you know, massive e-commerce brand yeah. that has to, where you need product and you need, um, you know, customer service, you need shipping, you need all that, all of that, like inventory, everything. Whereas service is just me, you know, helping someone out essentially. So I think that's, if I could redo it, I would still learn it all, but I would choose a different model for my practical element. <laughs> I think yeah. um, because I think I would have I, w- I would have gotten there perhaps quicker. But you know, when it, did is you, how, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, when did you first discover uh, Brian Clark and Sonia Simone? You said Copy Blogger had a big impact on you. How did you like? It seems like you had a really thoughtful approach to basically finding what I've called like digital mentors. Mm. Uh, how did you think about that? And like, how did you end up turning that into a gig? So, like I said, so I had the, that, that one course gave me that little nugget, so the ebook. And so, obviously, from there, I downloaded the ebook I was immediately on Copyblogger's email list. <laughs> um, loved everything that they wrote. Like, I have. I have all of their ebooks printed, like in my one of my drawers. Like every single one of them, I used to I used to read them at work. <laughs> um, don't tell anyone that. But um, it was from there. I think you know, I, I I probably spent a good six months being a quiet little mouse and not saying anything. But then I just started to do the the um 
I guess it was just a, like a natural form of networking. Like I had never really sort of thought about it in any way, but, you know, I, I replied, um, you know, I just, you know, I would reply to emails. I took their courses and I was a student and um, I was trying my best to sort of in, interact, not be as much of a lurker as I had sort of been in the past. Um, I remember joining Twitter very, I think, I can't, I don't know how, I think it's like seven years for me on Twitter now. And Twitter's not big in Australia. So it was, and back then it was a, like even less noise than like it is now. So it was just a very easy avenue to sort of talk to, like, you know, reply to Brian's tweets and, and sort of, Sonny wasn't as active on Twitter, but, but Brian used right. to um, be on there a bit. And I remember, I asked, like, I think they they offered, to, you know, who wants to ask a question for the podcast, you know, send it in. So I did that, you know, so my name started getting a little bit of um, recognition and I guess I just was trying to, you know, get them to know me. I remember taking a writing course and they said sort of like one of those first initial steps before you're going to get any sort of, you know, traction is that like three people in your sort of niche or your area should know you, like should know your name. Doesn't they don't need to know you personally, but they should know your name. And I think that's sort of what I took to heart and really tried to do it in a very genuine, non-creepy way. Like I've, I've never been great at sort of sales and self-promo, but yeah, like just actually building like actual relationships, not just to get something was always um, a lesson that I, I took to heart and, you know, I, I lived it like, like that's how I first uh, got my first article with Brian on further was I asked him on Twitter if I could send him some idea like uh, ideas by email so that was sort of like that 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 little I don't know I guess um, yeah a little piece of contact so that when he, when he got my email it wasn't just you know some fan email it was actually a purpose <laughs> and yeah. you need to look out for it oh sorry and that was um yeah that sort of started it. and because I knew because I had spent so much time just being a, like a consumer of Brian and Sonia's um, content from Copy Blogger I knew a lot about I guess the weaknesses and stuff that they shared about their own journeys and, and how they work so I when I did eventually um, ask Brian if he wanted some help it was because I knew where I would be able to fill some of the gaps that he like I knew what work he didn't enjoy. I knew what he avoided. He's never been um, strong in sort of systems and ops where, you know, that's where I can come in quite um, easily and, and and take over. I was always definitely someone you can hand something to and I'll do it. So, yeah, I took advantage of that. <laughs> yeah. Seem, seems like at this phase of your life, you started taking a lot of self-assessments too. Do you have one mm. or two that stands out and uh, some of the lessons you learned? Yeah, so the one, I think the one that was the biggest aha was, it's called the Colby A Index um, by Kathy Colby. And it, essentially it showed me why... I researched so much why I um, sort of and why I would spend so much of my energy doing that and not necessarily implementing how I wanted to, right? So it, it's, it was it was like a good and bad thing. I was like, damn it, that's why 
<laughs> I procrastinate yeah. so much doing this specific thing, but also how can I lean into that strength so that um, when I am doing <clears throat> the work that I want, um, you know, I'm getting into flow states and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that, that one shed some real light on just, how I worked and, and why I did what I did and um, really gave me sort of ammunition to figure out how to defend against those weaknesses, right? And, um, you know, it gave me um, – I, 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 I was pointed to that particular test from one of uh, – from a business coach I had who also introduced me to Kanban, which is the board you can see there. Yeah which was a game changer for me as well. So just that visual tactile element to figure out what you're doing um, rather than writing out a million to-do lists that you never look at again, which is a big thing for me. I can write a to-do list with the best of them. I will never look at it again because it's just <laughs> either stuck in a document or a book or um, whatever, whereas the visual aspect of the board and the way that that flows, it just like sung to me. and um, doing that Colby assessment really showed me um, why I worked so well. Um, and just the analysis from that was just, it was just eye-opening. And I think that really spurred my love of, of all things psychometric testing. And the second one I think would be the VIA strength survey. So that's uh, VIA is um, value. It's, it's, it stands for values in action basically. So, and that's from um, Martin Seligman, who's the author of Authentic Happiness oh, yeah, yeah. and Flourish. Um, so he's, he does a lot of work on strengths and positive psychology. And I love his reading his work and I love, love, love diving into positive psychology and, you know, what we can do to exercise our strengths. I mean, find them, discover them first, exercise them and, just literally like weave them into your week so that work is enjoyable. You get into flow every now and then and um, just you get to, yeah, you get to exercise the things you're really good at. And it's, um, it's been, it's been again, another eye opening test and gave me some really good insight into, you know, who I am, why I am. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, for me, self-awareness, self-discovery, those things are just foundational to anything that um, you want to pursue. Awesome. What uh, do you think so many people do these digital Kanban boards, but uh, I oh, mean, no, they've never worked for digital. me. What? Yeah. What do you think is different about doing it just out there on an actual board? Well, so, I mean, the first thing is, is that as soon as you're, attached to your phone or, or, or device, you're, you're distracted by something. Whether or not you can remove the distraction and go straight to your digital board or not is, is obviously, sorry, is, um, is going to be. Yeah. Um, good luck. <laughs> yeah, right. Like maybe you're really good at it. Some people are and they wouldn't need the physical, right? They're just great at to-do lists, like really good at looking at that sort of thing and, and good for you. I'm not that person. <laughs> and for the most part, I don't think a lot of people who are, who are looking for the perfect to-do app are that person either because the problem is that they're not doing what they said they wanted to do and they're just 
rather than actually doing the work, they're avoiding it by trying to find a better way to do the work, right? Yeah. For me, Kanban, a physical Kanban was just like having your tasks like literally screaming at you in your face to get done, things you've already decided on. You know, you're not redeciding, you're not reprioritizing every time you sort of sit down to your desk. It's literally right there. What what you'd already planned at the start of the week, do it. And it, the the better you get at breaking down your tasks, the easier it is to obviously start them and finish them. And with Kanban, you just get better and better at creating tickets. So like each post-it is one thing and it and it's one thing only you know what and getting um to that point where you know what done looks like for every single task you have and that's comes down to even write how you write a ticket and how you um uh yeah like i mean i'm sorry even just the words you're using on on your on your post-its to to signal that all this is how this is what it will look like when it's complete um rather than one of the um I guess one of the examples I always use is the blog post. So if someone comes to me or they're showing me their board or something and they go and they've got write a blog post on their, on their board, that is literally, it is the worst thing to write, especially if you're a perfectionist, you procrastinate, anything like that. Like everyone knows how hard it is to write, especially like it depends, yeah. like everyone's probably got different sections of, of writing that are hard but for me the the outline the draft <laughs> like it's the worst like I will I not still to this day I stall on it but I have a really good system now that helps me move through each stage so I'll I can show you this. Oops, how we go can you see that yeah now so this is a this is a new blog post ticket for me now each one of these probably when I was getting started used to be on a separate ticket because that is how you needed to look at it. Like a single element that you complete, you know, today within 50 minutes, that's what you need. So it's, I call it ho deep, which is lovely. So that's headline, outline, draft, edit, edit, exfoliate, polish, right? That's the system. I learned that system from or adapted that system from Pamela Wilson. She used to work as the, editor for copy blogger and she has her own business now um i think it's big brand system is her brand um but breaking that particular task down was i would say probably the most impactful thing i did for my writing because regardless of what courses i took it didn't matter what i learned it didn't matter what my skill level was i just i was not doing it like i just was not implementing i was not i just wasn't writing but for me as soon as i get past that draft stage like i'm i'm excellent like i feel excellent like i it's it, i will i will edit until the cows come home you know like i can i'm an editor <laughs> as as a, a sort of like that that top tier strength whereas the drafting side of things, I, I definitely live in the land of this is crap, I am crap, you are crap. <laughs> so breaking that down was was huge for me and Canva made that like just so much easier to do because I could, you know, you pull your ticket into the today column, you pull it into the done column once it's finished and that momentum just keeps, it keeps you going. Just the act of pulling tickets across your board, like just that like that really small thing 
changes how you how you work and how how accomplished you feel and you get this whole column at the end of your week which has everything you've done so you're not just deleting things and forgetting you even did them you're giving yourself credit you're you're looking back at how far you've come you're not always thinking oh this is what I still have to do because you've got both sides visible right you you know yeah you've got stuff to do but look what you've done you know I think that's it's an excellent reminder so it's yeah Kanban for life. Yeah. I mean, I've been using it for six years, so it's it's a big system. Like, it's a massive system for me. What What are some other ways of like reframing procrastination or getting things done? Like, what What do you think is really driving procrastination for many people? The first thing, <clears throat> and it's what I teach in um, the ten day the email course I have my free email course is that the first thing you really need to see for yourself is that you are procrastinating it's and it's so easy to think to to not like like I had to actually discover what procrastination actually was like I had to figure out that this is why I'm not not making the progress I want because I'm procrastinating I'm putting this off I'm doing all this stuff other stuff that I feel more comfortable with like you know like operational side of things that's really easy for me organizing is really easy the admin side of things really easy but I wasn't marketing I wasn't selling myself I wasn't um you know writing so that I could build my reputation and credibility and those things were what was going to move the needle right but you have to understand like for me it was it's I think it's really key to understand why you're procrastinating and usually the big three are it's fear perfectionism or entitlement so you know fear you're scared you just you're scared to do it you don't want to fail perfectionism um you don't think you'll do it right so you don't start at all and entitlement is that you wish you didn't have to do it or you wish someone else would do it you know and um those three things figuring out sort of which bucket and, and you probably take a little bit from each bucket like everybody sort of has a little bit of it all swirling around but there's usually a, a pretty big one um or, or two for me it was really perfectionism is was a, a big thing for me and I've had to overcome that by you know breaking these those big tasks down and, and making sure that you could actually do it like start it and then finish it um but certainly understanding why you're procrastinating and from there figuring out the, the next course of action that I that I sort of I send people through is is to, okay cool you know sort of what the problem is so take a look at yourself and so that's where I then lead people into some self awareness and figuring out the things that they love to do and remembering what they've done in their past that they loved and had success with and that sort of takes you out of the oh I'm really crap because I procrastinated to oh maybe if I did this or or, or sort of took um, or did this in this way instead, like you can change your approach to to just suit who you are and how you like to operate, which I think is is um, really super beneficial. And then at that point, you're I think it's it's easier to build the habits and systems that are going to support you um, because they need to be tailored to you. You can't just adopt somebody else's system. And expect it to work for you because it 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 might not. You're not the same person. You don't have the same strengths or weaknesses. Um, and you really, yeah. I, I just think those those two things: understanding why you procrastinate, and um, and then digging a little deeper into who you are. 
are really good starting points. And they're really easy starting points, to be honest. Like it's everyone wants easy. Those two things are so easy to do. Um, and guess what comes next is kind of difficult. <laughs> like the, the right, you know, building habits, building systems. But you find one or two really great ones and you're you're really going to set yourself up to be significantly better than you were, you know, six months ago. That's six weeks ago even. <laughs> so, yeah. Cool. What does the quote, fear is not a bad thing, indifferences mean to you? So I love, so that the book I referenced there is Brianna West's 101 essays that will change the way you think. And I think, you know, I've always read and found um, fear and anxiety such an interesting topic. Um, because fear has, you know, held me back a lot and I, you know, I suffer from anxiety and I think it's um, so important to have ways to move through fear and to, you know, lift your mood when, you know, that sort of mentality is bringing you down. But I also, that that particular quote, um, or I didn't think that was a direct quote, to be honest, the other I'll, I'll, I'll share with you what she writes. In, she says, you think that being uncomfortable and fearful means you shouldn't do something? Being uncomfortable and fearful means you definitely should. Being angry or indifferent means you definitely shouldn't. So fear shows that you, you care and caring enough. I mean, if you've read the practice by Seth Godin, he talks all about it. Like if you care enough, then that means that you should be doing it. It will be scary and it will be hard, but you just have to do it anyway. You have to do it scared. You have to do it even because even if it's hard, it will be hard. Um, but the fact that you have fear is an is it an excellent sign. Whereas if you didn't care, like you're just indifferent about you know what you're doing and and your job or whatever, that that, that is that middle ground. That that's that's where it's not it's not great to live. And so you're better to. You're better to be surrounded by fear than surrounded by indifference, I guess. Like is why I, I love that so much. And I've spent, you know, I, I I spent a lot of time sort of trying to figure out ways to, you know, again, I've dug deep into positive psychology. So a lot of the practices from there, you know, journaling, um, breath work, meditation, you know, just walking, um, you know, giving your time, giving yourself time and space to think and um, all those sort of positive practices that help you, you know, get your mind right, get your emotional state right, get your energy right. They they help you build intentional confidence, and it's that's um, and and they give you courage to sort of get to that next level where whatever was stopping you, whatever whatever fear you had, you can sort of move past it. Yeah. What do you What do you care about uh, most right now in your work? I think. I I just want to get to a point where, you know, I can provide for my family. Like my husband is probably the the breadwinner still at the moment. Um, I'm still, I feel like I'm still bouncing back from um, post baby, (laughs) Um, but it's, it's been a great, you know, sort of two, three years. It's just um, right now I, I, so I've just started a, a role with a contract role with zip message uh, with Brian Castle who's yeah and um that's been fantastic so I think taking on a little bit more of a a leadership role in 
within a bit of a team. Like for a very long time, I thought that that's not necessarily what I wanted, but I think that was again, just sort of fear stepping in the way or thinking that I probably couldn't do that. I didn't have the expertise when, um, really, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do. So I, I think, um, and being a writer, I think has really dub- doubling down on writing changed like the trajectory essentially. Like that was just that one thing, you know, if, if you can, if you can be, if you can build your writing skills in whatever way, maybe, <clears throat> maybe you don't write articles or that sort of thing, but written communication in general, right. Is going to get you really, 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 really far. <laughs> and I yeah. think, um, it's such a powerful so thing in today's world. It, it is. And I think, so uh, yeah, I guess right now what's important to me is to, to keep that writing, those writing skills developing. Um, so getting a chance to write and be creative, um, as well as having that that little that a little bit more connection in my in my work, you know. Previously, I've just had a sort of a bunch of clients, and I just do the work. And as a writer, you, there's not a lot of interaction. You know, I just sort of I write and give it give it over, and it's done. Whereas now I'm sort of in that phase where I I want to sort of you know talk to Brian and and have um, you know conversations about about growth and strategy, and so that's been really um, Fun and I've got so I do this three-word exercise from Chris Brogan and Rob Hash Hatch every every year. So you, you give yourself three words that sort of mold the rest of the year. And so this year's was were provide, distribute, and direct. So direct was really it was I wanted to take up that sort of leadership role and be more in like managing and and directing, which is essentially what this role with Brian is is giving me the opportunity to do distribute was you know I need to up my self-promotion and distribute my own work (laughs) Um, and sort of make that a habit so I've been on and off with that one I'd say it's probably I need some work and then there's the provide so that was the other word and that was really you know I want to whatever it looks like for me in my world to feel like I'm contributing and um, yeah providing for my family so I think those three things specifically are, are where I'm at, and they, yeah, they've been great words, to be honest. So they sit on my screen. I look at them. I love that. <laughs> where, where can people find out more? Like, what um, in, is there anything you want to share with uh, the audience specifically? Um, I would say everyone should take my free ten day email course. You know, feel free to unsubscribe directly afterwards. But it's those lessons that I share are like I am so proud of that. I mean, I could call it a product that no one has to pay for, but it is, it is probably my, my, some of my best work. And it was, you know, even if you're interested in sort of the automation behind it, like you might have a look at that. Like, so I get a lot of um, comments on that too, because I use, I'm a student of Brennan Dunn. And so I use um, ConvertKit and do some sort of fancy stuff with um, self-pacing and, you know, you can sort of make your way through it by answering worksheets. And I love it. Like I, I, I look at, I look at the content myself like constantly. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've had excellent feedback from it. It's, 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 I think it's a really good um, foundational sort of course to have a look at if you're struggling with procrastination, if you someone who loves taking a bunch of courses, but is struggling with implementation or you're, you just want a few starting points for systems or new habits or, 
self-awareness and you need some pointers. Like it's, it's very practical. Like it's practical. There's theory. There's, it's, I really like it. <laughs> I, I'm terrible at self-promotion, but yeah, that if, no, if, you, want, if you want to see good. any of my work, I'll, go there. <laughs> it's, it's at importantmycourse.com, but it was, it's also on my website. So. Yeah. I just spent a lot of time reading your writing. You're, you're a very good writer. I think uh, you, you definitely have a lot of, to offer people. So I'll hype you up. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And, well, you said uh, yeah. Amanda suggested me. And so she actually, the, the way I met her, she took my course and she reached out afterward. And she was like, Thank you so much. It was great. And I was like, Cool. I, I didn't even know her. She was, she was not as Twitter famous back then. I can tell you that much. She was still, she was still awesome. But um, I was sort of, I've known her through her big, massive growth. So, um, that was really cool. Like I like to, like, I got to put her face up there on my testimonials. I think. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the magic of the internet. And if you can just bravely share and keep putting your stuff out there, eventually people are gonna want to support you anyway, right? Yeah. And then that sort of can take care of that. I don't really like self promoting either. Um, I like creating. Um, when yeah. it comes to like talking about what I'm creating, I'm like, uh, I'm okay. Let's just like create new stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think the podcast for you is obviously such a great avenue for you to perhaps meet people who are better promo than, yeah, than you are. Definitely. I think that's always, I've always um, sort of wanted a, a, a podcast for myself to have that. But um, yeah, one day, one day. I've upgraded my mind now. So maybe I'm on, I'm on track. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, this is a lovely uh, conversation. Uh, I'll let you start your day in uh, Australia. Thanks, <laughs> thanks. For, thanks for chatting with me today, Claire. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great. <laughs> thank you for listening to The Pathless Path. I love having these conversations. And if you want to support me, you can rate, review, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow me on YouTube where I post all the video interviews of this podcast as well. Finally, you can always support me by buying my book, The Pathless Path. It's a book I'm really proud of and has most of my best thinking and probably my best writing in it. And you can get it for less than 20 bucks. So grab that. It's in the show notes. And thank you for listening. Hey all, thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can of course check out my book. It's sold. It's going to hit 50,000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50,000, which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community which you can find at pathlesspath.com membership and you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.